Welcome to Activate Live. I'm Tanya Hutchins with the Machinist Union. We're union and we're proud. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean. Dear friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network series highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 80 shows in five countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Paft, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Tanya Hutchins, who is host of Activate Live, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, a show about organized labor and working people. Tanya, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you to organized labor. Well, I am originally from White Plains, New York, and I went to Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York, about four hours north of that. Um, and that's where I studied television, radio, and broadcast journalism. Um, I knew from the time that I was 12 years old that I wanted to be a reporter. And I'm so happy to report that I was able to reach that goal. Um, but after a while, I wanted to change careers. I wanted to do something different because I really didn't want to cover crime anymore. You know, I liked health reporting. I knew I wanted to do something that would help people. Um, and I really looked around at different nonprofits. And I found an ad on tvjobs.com looking for a backpack journalist, which is what I did for the ABC affiliate in Columbus, Ohio, and the NBC affiliate in Columbus, Ohio. And the job description was the same. Um, it was writing, editing, reporting, doing interviews but it was for a labor union. And when I first heard about the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, I didn't really know what that was. I didn't know that it was a labor union. Um, but the, by the time I came for the interview, you know, I was so glad because I'm definitely pro-union. Uh, the training program that I did in Boston was at WCVB-TV. It was an ABC affiliate. And I got a waiver from SAG-AFTRA to train to be a reporter um, at that station. So it was a 10 month training program and it was a really an apprenticeship for reporters. Um, so I'm so thankful for that program. Um, at the time they called it an affirmative action program. It was the Leo Baranek Fellowship, but it really introduced me to the world of television news and to unions. Um, so that was my first, you know, exposure uh, to a union was um, SAG-AFTRA. Back then, SAG and AFTRA were separate unions. Um, I think it was an AFTRA waiver that I actually got, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And from there, I ended up getting my first jobs in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and the funny thing is, I had two offers, and one was a union station, one was a non-union station. So the station in Erie, Pennsylvania was union. I think it was WICU. And in 1990, they offered me something like 22, oh no, 21.5 at that year. The non-union station where I ended up going was Columbus, Ohio. And I went there because it was a larger market. It was the 32nd large, largest market in the country at the time. 
um, but it was non-union. And the only difference in salary at that time was $500. So I think, you know, WSYX in Columbus offered me 22,000. Um, so I stayed there nine and a half years. And the funny thing is, it's not funny now, is my exposure to unions there, there was only one other union station, NBC4, uh, which I ended up going across town to work for later on. But that that station didn't cover my new position as a digital journalist um, at the time. And the only time that I feel like news organizations really cover unions is when there's a strike and that's awful. You know, they don't really cover the good times that we have, the good contracts. And that's something that I think that we need to change. But, you know, I had a great time in Columbus, Ohio. Um, one of the stories that I tell people is that when I got to um, NBC4, the union station, all of the photographers were union, the reporters were SAG-AFTRA. Um, but, you know, somehow by the time I got there, the shop became an open shop at NBC4. And I was a, a, I had a new position. It was called a digital journalist, which is basically a backpack journalist. And my position wasn't covered. So I got that contract. I'm thinking, okay, where's the SAG-AFTRA contract? Yeah. And they said, you know, it's not covered. So I tried the two and a half to three years I was there to try and get that position covered, I was not successful. I tried, you know, with IBEW and with SAG-AFTRA. Um, and there's a, something that came up, you know, in terms of working conditions. And they started having us, you know, we were furloughed. So every six weeks, they said that we had to work 10 days in a row, four days off. The reporters were going through that and that was tiring we were exhausted it was awful and i went up to the schedule to look at it and i counted the weeks and it turns out they were doing it every five weeks not every six weeks like they said but the photographers didn't have to go through that because they were ibw and it wasn't in their contract so that taught me a lot again to to always go for union jobs after that evan yeah i'm i'm, I'm sure you have a lot of friends who um are still in the news business. And there's a huge wave of organizing right now in a lot of these newsrooms. Um, are you, do you have any like window into that right now? Uh, with Are you hopeful about what's going on? Because I, I feel like there's just been so much exploitation on the media side. And I think on the large media, but then also the ad tech industry that goes through Facebook and everything else, it's very, it's, it's not transparent at all. Like you put money into advertisements, you don't know who it's going to, you don't know who your subscriber is and they've gobbled up that huge market. But I am curious of just uh, if you have any views on some of the major organizing wins uh, going around with these smaller companies as they fight to remain open in a lot of ways. Not so much insight on the new organizing wins, but I really help as much as I can to make reporters and anchors that are still in the business aware of the union opportunities. Because they talk a lot on social media about what they're going through, um, whether it's workplace safety and having to go out and do live shots with the mast up during a thunderstorm and you know they could get hurt um, with lightning. So I always try, especially on Facebook, even though I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook, I'm in a lot of groups uh, like TV news, um, there's a group called MM Jane, which is multimedia journalists who are women. And every chance I get, I write in there the benefits of having a union contract and telling them even if they're not at a union station, they can organize their station. And I tell that story that I just told you about the working conditions and having to work 10 days in a row and four days off because I had a non-union position. So I think 
you know, even non-competes are being thrown out all over the country because they didn't allow us to go across town and work at another job if we were laid off. Luckily, I was never laid off. You know, I was able to leave stations on my own, uh, which feels so good when you go into the boss's office and say, I'm not renewing my contract and it's not the other way around, um, you know, but I think we have a lot of educating to do. And I think, you know, SAG-AFTRA realizes that as well. Um, and not all reporters and photographers in union newsrooms are SAG after there are other unions like CWA as well, um, IBW, like I just said. So we just have to do a better job of organizing them. So every chance I get, I try to tell reporters and anchors the benefits of a union contract and photographers too, and writers and producers. That's a great segue. So a lot of people have grown up in this era where labor hasn't been widely reported in mainstream media. So. For those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, why do you think unions and organized labor are so important should be covered? I mean, you've already spoken a little bit about it, but for, you know, in the context of the fact that we're all putting out shows that are highlighting labor issues. I think it's important to showcase workplace safety, you know, so we don't have any more injuries or deaths on the job. Um, and also working conditions. We all need better working conditions, you know, especially in the television news business, people are taken for granted. Um, it's a thankless job. Um, it's 24 seven, you're always on call. Um, so I think it's very important for us to tell, you know, the stories of the workers, the untold stories. You know, I always say, I think my tagline on LinkedIn is, or Twitter is voice, you know, giving a voice to the voiceless. Um, so, I'm very hopeful because younger people now are being made aware of the union movement um, with all the protests that you see, whether it's against, you know, guns or whether, you know, it's just, especially with the school shootings that we've had, there are young people that are getting out there and picketing like their grandparents did. Um, so they're becoming more aware. So that gives me so much hope to see teenagers and college students um, and other people under 40 who are learning about the labor movement and they're using it to organize their, their newsrooms um, and just their workplaces in general, even tech, you know, like you said. So I really do have hope because the young people are the future and I'm hoping it'll be a 100% union future. So could you talk about Activate Live and maybe provide a little bit of background of what the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers is and how did the show come together and, um, what are some of your hopes, I guess, uh, as you go into 2021? So um, at the Machinist Union, we started out, I got here in 2011 as a communications representative and I joined the video team because it needed help after what was then our new app. Um, so at the time that new app was really being innovated. You know, we're always trying to try new things, find new ways to communicate with members. Um, we had a show, I guess about five years ago, that was a monthly interview show called Viewpoint. Um, and then after that, we got a new director of communications and his name was Bob Wood. And he came up with this idea of voice activation, trying to get us to activate our voices because we all have a voice. And that was the theme of our communications conference a few years ago. So in 2017, he thought it would be great to have a weekly show um, and at the time, we decided to do it as a newscast format, and it was the first weekly hosted union show um, using video in the union movement that we knew of. 
at the time. Um, so it was weekly for three years in uh, last year because of the pandemic, you know, um, we went to an as needed basis. Um, but we wanted to find a new way of communicating with our members. And we did it as a newscast format, format because that was my background, you know, so we would do labor history. Um, and we would also um, highlight anything that was going on with our union, but also anything that's going on um, in the labor movement. Um, and that could be our members with member profiles. Um, it could be just news going on in a local or a district, but we try to make it member centric. And I think that's the hardest part is just finding union members that are willing to talk to us. Um, and especially when you add video, you know, people are kind of hesitant, you know, you have to let them know, well, nowadays with Zoom like, and, and with blue jeans and all of these different programs to talk to people, I think it's making people more comfortable. Um, but I think we always have to find new ways of communicating with members. And we would have one or two interviews each week um, when we have one coming up. You know, hopefully we'll have a show coming up about this worker, more worker friendly administration. And we're going to give the administration a little bit more time to see how things go before we do another Activate Live. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity to just talk to our members um, and not just talk to staff of the union. I think a lot of times we're comfortable just talking to staff, but we want to make it more member centric because people can relate to members. When you have member to member communication or you hear somebody's story on the shop floor, um, it means more when it comes from another member, especially when that member is organizing or negotiating a great contract um, and the member can see the success stories and learn from our mistakes as well. So how large is the union? And it says international at the beginning. So how many countries uh, is it represented in? Yeah, so we represent members in Canada and the United States. And we are largely a transportation union. We like to say we keep you know, workers moving, we keep America moving. So we have so many different sectors. We were um, founded as a railroad union in 1888 in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and think about that, we were founded in the South, which today has a bad rep um, for organizing, but we are organizing the South. So we have members who work in railroads airlines. Um, we have cities, the city of Long Beach. We have the workers there that we have organized. Um, we're a very diverse union. Um, we're a union that helped to organize um, black car workers, which are, you know, the limo drivers in New York. Um, we helped to um, bring about the um, IDG, the um, Independent Drivers Guild in New York, which a lot of the New York drivers um, drive with all of the different apps. So they have Uber, they have Lyft, Juno, Via. Um, so they have their own organization where they can talk to the companies. So they're learning about our union as well. Um, people think of machinists um, and we're not just people operating machines, although that's our foundation, but we also represent flight attendants, um, ramp workers at airports, um, so many different sectors, woodworkers, um, metal trades. I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I, I guess like, are how are how is the strategy going forward? I guess to, um, I, I guess you're waiting and seeing what the Biden administration does, um, and and we're based in kind of the D.C. area, but I, I am curious about uh, is are some of the goals to increase membership or to also 
just kind of solidify any gains that have been made over the years and make sure those or claw them back if they've been lost or, you know, over the last uh, decade or so. Um, what are some of the strategies going forward, I guess? And how is your communication team um, kind of uh, communicating about it? Yes, we are so hopeful to have a union friendly um, administration um, and hopefully to get a full National Labor Relations Board <laughs> as well. Um, so we are really looking forward to not only working with this administration, but to educating our members about the types of policies that we need moving forward so that we can do our jobs effectively and we can be safe on the job. So this year, you know, I had a, a sigh of relief. I was like, woo, after election day. And I'm pretty much, I'll be honest with you, I'm a nonpartisan person. I'm an independent voter. Um, I don't really fit, feel like I fit into any party, whether it be Republican or Democratic or Libertarian or Green, although I would love a Green Party. I just wish the Green Party would have more of a platform. But one of those things, you know, because of that in my mind, because I'm independent, I make it a point when we're doing Activate Live not to really talk about party politics. I try to make it issue oriented because I don't want anybody to just turn it off and say, oh, I'm not going to listen to this because I'm not in this party. You know, I want to keep it issue oriented to make sure that people keep listening about the issue that is affecting them, because I don't want anybody to vote against their best interests. You know, I think everybody should, you know, do as much research as they can, especially in this day and age of not only misinformation, but disinformation. You know, if you don't know you're passing on something that's incorrect, okay, that's misinformation. But if you know something is incorrect and you're posting it to social media or even hosting a show and putting it out there, you know, that's disinformation. So I think one of the things that our communications department is trying to do is just to like, you know, make things, put it in a simple way that our members understand about what policies we need to thrive as not just union members, but to thrive as workers, you know, to follow whether it's the American dream or the Canadian dream. We want all of our workers in North America to thrive. And we want every all the workers in the world to thrive. You know, we're also a member of Industrial, which is a global union. So we keep in touch with other unions around the world because, you know, I feel like I'm so lucky to live in this country, in the United States of America, because we have so many freedoms. But around the world, there are so many workers that don't have those freedoms, you know, that can be thrown in jail just for saying something against their, their administration or their government, um, let alone say something about their boss at work. So I feel very thankful to live in this country and very thankful to have this opportunity to try to help give a voice to the voiceless so that we can all thrive and find you know, what we have in common. So as a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, how did you hear about it? And what was kind of the process of joining it? And why do you think this network is important? So I found out about the Labor Radio Podcast Network through Chris Garlock. Um, he sent me an email to tell me about it. And when I went to the website, I was amazed that there were so many members. Um, so that I even got one of our members in Alabama to join as well, the, um, the Valley Labor Report. Um, so I think it's a wonderful way for all of us to come together. You know, I think we should have done this years ago. So it's a great opportunity. Um, and I think anybody that wants more information should just go to the website, 
take a look at all of the shows that are listed there. There's some, something for everyone. And the great thing about the internet, you know, in this internet age is that, you know, we can listen to a show in Alabama and see what's going on with workers there or listen to a show out West. Um, so I hope it grows. I really, I, I promote it every chance I get for people that have podcasts or want to start a podcast um, because the network really gives good advice as well. Um, even with the weekly meetings that we have um, to try to help different hosts with ideas and, and things that work, different tricks and tips. Um, so I would recommend to anyone who's interested in radio, podcasting, even video like us at the Machinist Union mm -hmm. to join. So in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? Young people. Definitely. Um, I don't think they learn about workplace safety, about unions as much as they should in high school and in college. I'm on the alumni board of, at Ithaca College where I went to school, which has a great communications program, a journalism program. And the great thing about Ithaca is right across the hill, you know, Ithaca College is on um, South Hill and on East Hill is Cornell University. So Cornell has a labor school still, um, which is unheard of these days. I mean, they're closing. So I think we really need to save these labor colleges um, to try to educate young people because they sh even business students, they shouldn't just learn about human resources because I feel like the human resources department is there for the company. It's not there for the worker. So I think we need to teach both sides, level the playing field and let young people know about unions, teach them even in high school, because teenagers are working as well. They're entering the workforce. I started working when I was 14 years old. So, and I had summer jobs or after school jobs. So that's when we need to start educating them. But I'm very helpful, hopeful uh, with young people entering the workforce. Um, they're getting educated as well. And they're the ones that are moving into these positions. So hopefully they will look for union jobs, demand union jobs, organize their workplaces. Um, move up through the union and go to their local, you know, union meetings and spread the word as much as they can. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free, none of us are free, and one of us is chained, none of us are free. right we got to feel for each other let our brothers know we're here got to get the message send it out all loud and clear none of us are free